I will pray and then we will read 17 through 24. Father, we come now to hear from you. Father, we come now to to open your word. Father, to understand that you spoke and creation happened. And Father, it is by your word that you sustained. And Father, I pray that now you set our hearts that we may hear and that we may be sustained. Father, I lift these people up, these, this gift that you have entrusted to me at this time. Father, I ask that they hear you. Father, I ask that they uh, seek you, Father, that they bow to self-will. And that, Father, they would desire your will. Uh, Father, may we embrace what you give us. And Father, may we be content at where we are. And yet, may we never fall into complacency. And Father, may your word bear much fruit in our lives individually. And yes, Father, in your precious bride collectively. To you and you alone, my King. Amen. Are you recording? First and foremost, before I read verses 17 through 24, um, I must come before all of you and beg your forgiveness. I made a statement last week that was not true. I said that uh, what the Lord has joined together, let no man separate, and that it is not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. I can tell you why I made that statement, but it is, uh, there's no reason. There's absolutely no reason. And I beg your forgiveness. Uh, I was going to tell you where it was in the Bible, but I am not that kind. Uh, if you want to know where it is in the Bible, go look. I'll tell you that it's in the New Testament. And I beg your forgiveness for making that statement. Uh, and I, I, I am ashamed. I am ashamed. And I have asked my king for forgiveness. And I beg you for that same forgiveness. Okay? And Karen Salentine says she forgives me. Let us read 17 through 24. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. This is an amazing text. And that's all I can say um, because of where it lies and the community in which it was originally written, what was going on. And I think about in our community today what is going on and how this speaks to it in volumes. I entitled this message, Christian in Society. Christian in Society. And one of the questions that came to me in actually beginning in chapter 7 and it will go through chapter 11 is what is the social implications of Christianity? There's a whole lot written 
about it. Um, does Christianity bear weight against social institutions? Um, and what social activism is justified biblically? And so, uh, as I look at this, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, this passage, though I believe I would classify it as wordy, is not difficult to understand once you really see it. Here's what is difficult with this. He makes a point stated two times in verse 17, 20, 24. Okay? But he illustrates that point. In 18, 19, 21, 22, and 23. Okay, so he literally states a point, illustrates it, states it again, illustrates it. Okay, so when you try to look at it from that perspective, it's a little confusing, especially when you come out of what he just dealt with. Because chapter 7 is still dealing with marriage, the relationship of marriage and singleness that exists as a Christian. Okay, I hope and I've been praying that this will help us to focus on the priorities of the Christian life and the Christian experience as it relates to social things. We see a lot of social activism uh, today that is coming out of the church. Um, a number of years ago, there was a, a kid killed up at the University of uh, um, Wyoming in Laramie. And uh, much to do about it. Uh, he was a homosexual uh, and was murdered. Um, and yet there was a church out of Topeka came and uh, um, cast a shadow on you and I. Okay? Uh, and, and you really need to pay attention. I want to share. You need to understand. I'm, I'm going to. I won't really get into the nuts and bolts of the exegetics of this text probably for two weeks. Um, but I want to kind of say, set a platform in which we will build off of. Jesus said we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Okay? And I, I, I really... You individually need to pray on how this text affects you. Okay. Again, the seventh chapter is dealing with the issue of marriage. It is dealing with you're single or married or married to an unbeliever or divorced or widowed. Um, and, uh, but basically, if you look at all of those, those are Christian believers. Now, now listen, I'm not talking about everybody who takes the name Christian. I'm talking about those people who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and have a desire and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see it in their lives. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. True believers. All right? In our relationships, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're married to unbelievers, whether we're divorced, or wherever we're at at this point in our lives, right now, how does that affect the society in which we live in? Let me give you an example that what would have happened should you have been alive and gotten saved in Corinth, Greece at the time of this letter. Let's say you're single. Let's say it was Matt or Elizabeth. You, you got confronted by the gospel um, and came to salvation, so you, you attend the, the first church of Corinth. All right? If you were to bump into some Jews in there, well-meaning, converted, believing Jews, then you need to understand something. How much of the New Testament existed? Nothing. Wasn't written. You might have uh, been able to get your hands on First or Second Thessalonians. Those are the only two letters in existence at the time. There might have been another letter, depending on when you came to salvation, that was a nasty letter from the Apostle Paul that isn't in Scripture. Um, so a lot of what existed isn't there yet. All right. So a Jew, let's say a Jew befriends you and, and sees you as a single person, and they're well-meaning, and yet they want to know why you're not married. Because that would be in defying the law of God. Because God said, be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that single. Okay? 
I believe that if you today asked Elizabeth or Matt or some of the other singles in this church, uh, that, that back row except for Cynthia, okay, is there pressure put on a single person to marry? Once you get to a certain age, maybe you're trying to get your college or your education or whatever done, is there pressure put on you to marry? Here's my next question, a caveat to the question. Is there pressure put on to you by believers to marry? Okay. Well, let's say that you're single uh, and you're approached by a Gentile. And they would tell you, coming out of their religious system, that singleness is the best. Because you can give total devotion to God. Okay? And let's be realistic. If I was married to an unbeliever in the church in Corinth, and somebody told me that singleness was best, I have a good excuse. Why? Godly people have told me, that it is better to be single, so I'm going to leave my spouse. Let me ask you a question. Would that have implications on the society? Absolutely. How many people start calling today, now, this time of season, wanting to know, can we use the church to get married in? Or do I marry people? Do you go to church? No. Why would you go to church to get married then? Okay, I'm immediately having an impact on society. Of course, people think I'm cranky or something. But, uh, all right. Paul takes the particulars that you and I have looked at that have been given, okay, through 8 through 16, um, actually 1 through 16, and he takes those particular particulars and he gives a general rule in 17 through 24. Okay, so what he's doing is taking each of these specifics, whether you're single, widowed, divorced, married to a Christian, two Christians married, married to a Christian, or married to an unbeliever who wants to stay, or married to an unbeliever who doesn't want to stay. So he basically covers them all. That would be your societal impact. And he says, here's a general principle. Okay, Christians should not be concerned. Now here's the Terry summation. Christians should not be concerned with changing their outward circumstances. Did you get that? Christians should not be concerned with changing their outward circumstances. We shouldn't be preoccupied with changing our outward circumstances. That's what happens. We get a preoccupation with things. I'm single, I need to get married. I'm married, I need to get single, or whatever. However I decided. Or now that I'm married, I need to do this. Da, 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 da. What are you looking at? You're looking at your outward circumstance. Okay. Basically, you need to understand something about Christendom. Christianity. It is not a social issue. It is, it, has, it is not a society's issue. Okay? It is not social revolution. Okay? I hear a lot of murmurings and callings now from different Christian leaders calling for another awakening, uh, another great revival. It'll never happen until the church does. Okay? Listen, Christianity is spiritual regeneration. Many, many years ago, about 6,000 years ago, Adam was told that if he ate of this fruit, he would die. And he ate of the fruit, and there was an instantaneous death occurred. That quick. Okay? It was a spiritual death. He died to the things of God. Okay? Ask yourself a simple question. How do I get an individual who is absolutely dead to God to obey God? Can't do it. But, 
if God saves them, then there is a spiritual regeneration that takes place and they become alive to the things of God. Okay? Okay. The context of what we begin here in in verse 17 is there's no reason to say that now I'm a Christian, I need to stop being single. Uh, I... um, There's no reason now that I'm a Christian to dissolve my marriage and to be celibate. Okay, a Christian, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I I can't be a slave anymore, so I need to go tell my master to fly a kite. Uh, You can't own me anymore because I'm a Christian. Okay? This church in Corinth, as many today, are using their Christianity for justification for all kinds of social change. Alright? We've seen the man in uh, Alabama who had the Ten Commandments monument in the courthouse and and had it removed forcibly and was disbarred. And we, we yell and we scream about that. Do you know where the monument came from? I do. He put it in there. Okay, and the courthouse said, you can't put that in there. So what should his response have been? He should have removed it. I mean, after the shooting in Columbine, um, they, we, we wanted to put the Ten Commandments in every school. Why? Well, if you get the two tablets, you could give one to each kid. They can wear one in the front and one in the back, and they have bulletproof vests. Okay. I mean, listen, have you read the Ten Commandments? What's number one? You shall have no other gods before me, which just condemned the school. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, I know for a fact that the separation of churches and and uh, state is a non-existent entity. It does, it's a, the statement doesn't exist on any federal papers. It's not there. Okay, the federal government will not promote a given religion. Period. That's all it states. Um, I see protests at abortion clinics. Uh, we they've just arrested a guy who blew up uh, the abortion uh, down in Atlanta. A clinic down there killed a nurse and, and had another bomb in a trash can and freaked out a whole bunch of other people. Um, and he also shot a uh, a doctor. Okay, uh, and a lot of Christians are taking this guy's side. Uh, we have the homosexual marriage brouhaha going on, and everybody's saying we need to da 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 da. And this text literally deals with all of it because it's like I said, he's taking specific principles and he's given a general statement. Okay? I see people in churches today who are dumping their spouses. Um, I see singles who are forcing or being forced to marry when they have been given a charisma, a spiritual gift of celibacy. Um, which, you know, that's amazing because if God has given you the gift of celibacy, then He has a unique purpose of ministry that He has planned for you. His will. Uh, Slaves demanding freedom. Um, And this social reaction literally destroys the testimony of the church. When I think about that church that came out of Topeka and uh, the wonder brilliance that came out of that, Uh, What did it do to the testimony of the church? Basically, it said that the church was a hateful institution and that we hate uh, homosexuals. Okay, the first man that I ever ministered to in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, was when you was up at Denver General was a homosexual. Uh, was dying of AIDS. I mean, the first man that I shared the gospel with, uh, my had she, he had been witness to what my wife uh, and her walk in the hospital at Denver General, and um, Al Jerome was the pastor, and I got called to I don't know what it was, and he had some spooky bro- or, well, whatever you want to call them, uh, friends, 
Okay? I mean, just something about guys and makeup just bothers me. I mean, if you got black under your eyes and no teeth, I'm into it. But when you got purple highlighter and all the rest of it, that's just weird. So, and if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. Uh, but I, that was the first man that God opened the door for me to minister to. How amazing is that? Um, we are not here for a revolution. We are here for transformation. You've got to understand that. Don't turn Christianity into a social thing. Make sure everybody understands that it is spiritual regeneration. And did you know that Christianity can exist in any kind of social situation? Did you know that? You know that right now the greatest movement that exists in Vietnam is Christianity? You know what's really bizarre about that? The same government that killed 58,000 American soldiers is seeking, and they classify it, I want true Christians to run our orphanages. I find that fascinating. Why? Because it has been spiritual regeneration in the people that the government has seen. Um, Listen, I, I don't want to negate this. Christianity has a profound effect on society. Always has and always will. Uh, let me go through f- a few of the effects that Christianity has on society. Miracles, signs and wonders. The teaching of the equality of the sexes. The teaching of the bond and free person. This tremendous preoccupation with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His judgment. Heaven. Um, a, a, A disdain for earthly possession, earthly wealth. These were... Let's be realistic. These are very hard for the world to understand. And they would, at the writing of this letter, and will today have an effect on the society in which you're in. Period. I know that there are some people today who work in in this church, who work in um, what I call uh, institution, established uh, employers that are being pushed into... uh, um, what they're calling tolerance, tolerance training and, and stuff like that. Um, I find that fascinating because the one thing that can literally help the institution, they will not tolerate Christianity. And yet, some of us are guilty of trying to force feed Christendom. Again, I take you back. They're spiritually dead. How are they going to know the things of God? How will they submit to the things of God? Let's keep our understanding of signs and wonders, uh, of the second coming, of the regenerate heart um, in the spiritual realm. Uh, let's not make uh, Christianity a justification to overthrow a government. Um, when we do, we will become like every other revolution. What would be the difference than um, the Bolshevik Revolution? That was the one that took from the czars and put Russian, uh, Russia into communism. What's the difference? Um, we are distinct in time. And we must not lose that distinction. Okay? Paul shows in this passage that being a Christian does not destroy homes, nor does it ruin friendships. Yet, I have seen that very issue come up in Christians. I've seen it happen to people in this church. Okay? Not many of them are here anymore. 
The relationship to Christ is compatible with any social status. Okay? Whether you're single, whether you're married, you're widowed, you're divorced, you're slave, you're free, you're Jew, you're Gentile, you're man or woman. Any society. Whether it's a democracy, a dictatorship, anarchy. Christianity exists. Whether you're in America, whether you're in Cuba, whether you're in China, Vietnam, Saudi Arabia, Israel, anywhere in the world, Christianity is compatible with any social status. You know what I find it was, it was amazing to me? I ran into a guy who had, had been over helping Christians in Baghdad. The big thing now is to try to get a business up. You can't worship because uh, that just gets you in trouble. Okay, and so what they're trying to do is get them a business started, usually a bookstore, and this guy's the financial backing for this, and he's getting them little places they can start these bookstores, and they sell secular books and some Christian literature. And this brings money into the church there in, in Iraq, and it goes forth. And he says the church has always been strong in Iraq. Really? And he says, yes. He says, all of Saddam's servants had to be devout Christians. Why? They wouldn't plot to kill him. They wanted to see him saved. I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. The gospel, I think when we struggle with the gospel is we have Americanized the gospel. Okay? Um, and I watch it. Uh, you know, I've seen it in protest clinics. Me and my wife were traveling someplace, and it was a college campus, and I can't remember where it was, but a group had come in here, again, anti-abortion uh, um, group, and they had all of these pictures of fetuses. I mean, just gross. Okay, and I thought, well, you're influencing people. Okay, do you know that it's the law of the land? Can you tell me in Scripture when I'm supposed to break the law of the land? It's only one, one time that I will break the law of the land. Is when the land tells me I cannot preach the gospel. Okay, okay, can you do that in this country? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I can preach it out in front of a, an abortion clinic if you want to, but right now it is legal for a woman to have an abortion. But you know what? I know how to stop abortion right now. Preach the gospel. Why? It's not a social issue. It is a spiritual issue. Let me, let me see if I can give you a different... In context of what we're dealing with. Okay? Because I, I, I want you to grab this. This is amazing to me. Let me give you an example. If a wife... You have a, a couple who, who are married. A wife becomes a Christian. What should she do? Nope. Nope. She should all of a sudden become a better wife. See, the issue isn't my status. My issue is... Christ, if a husband to gets saved, all right, and his wife is still an unbeliever, what should the husband do? He should be a better husband. Why? He's regenerate. I am susceptible to the things of God. Who invented the institution of marriage? Who should know how the little bugger runs? God does. All right? He, he kind of 
drew the directions and the plan for it. So if one of the individuals becomes saved, then they should actually, by that salvation, draw the other one because, wow! Look at what they are to me now. If you have a friend, okay, just a friend, you know, your bud, your homie, whatever you want to call it. You guys never use that? Wrong church. If you have a friend and that friend, that homie, that bud, becomes a believer, what should they, he, she immediately be to you? A better homie. A better friend. A better bud. Right? Why? Well, first and foremost, they only have the love of God poured in their hearts, which make them a pretty cool friend. If you were a slave, I'll bring it up to date. If you were an employee and you become saved, what use should you become? Why? Shouldn't you be ministering and worrying about the things of God and all that stuff? No, you should have taken the Tuesday night study on Second Thessalonians. Wednesday night study on Second Thessalonians. Why? Who created work? God did. He is a God of work. Our first revelation of His, His first six days, He was working, and then He worked on getting us saved. Right? So He is a God of work, and He literally says, you will work. I know. He didn't get the contract for the um, union people, but He says you work six days and take a day off. I'm waiting for my day off. Um, If you're an employer and you become saved, what should you immediately become? A better employer. Let me ask you a question. If you're a citizen and you become a Christian, what should you become? But what if you're in a communist nation? You should still be a better citizen. See, it's not social revolution. I remember talking to somebody one time And I'm not buying this, but this is sort of how we twist this thing. Okay? He said, if it's supposed to get worse for Jesus to come, shouldn't we vote for the worst candidates so we can get it quicker? And I said, well, you're going to get something quicker, but I don't know that it's going to be Jesus. Okay? I vote my conscience. Okay, my conscience is guarded and guided by the will of God. So when I look at a politician, whoever's running for office, uh, even the judges that you go through and you can vote on, um, I vote my conscience. Okay, and my conscience should be guided by the things of God. All right? I nor Paul are saying that Christians have uh, nothing to do with social activism. Okay? But I feel that the Bible is very clear about the fact that we are to meet the needs of people. That's, I mean, that's, I guess if you want to call it social activism, uh, I, I bind up the wounded, it says. I am to feed the hungry. I am to clothe the naked. I am to house the lonely and the outcast. Uh, and that's very clear that we are to do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. There is social responsibility that Christianity has that Christians should seek justice. If you want to see God's judgment quickly, be unjust. Uh, But we should seek our justice in the system that God has provided for us. It says early in this book that we should stop suing one another. Okay, that's Christian agon Christian. And he says, even Christian upon Christian, quit suing each other, even to the point, be defrauded. Be defrauded. Okay? Let me ask you a question. If something happens that is uh, someone else's negligence, causes me great pain and suffering or something to this effect, should I sue them? Some of you are shaking your heads no. Some of you are thinking about it. I don't care if you sue them as long as it's just. To sue somebody because you spilled hot coffee on your lap and say, I want millions of dollars, 
What dry cleaner are you going to? That's the problem. I'm not against the legislative process, the judicial process, I mean, of our country. I'm not against that. But I have watched it go silly. Okay? We have social responsibility, and we should seek justice in a society through the means that our society provides. Okay? But we should do it as Christ and seek it right and honest. Okay, and when we're doing that, we should also speak the truth of God against anything that is unjust, unrighteous in our society. I have no problem with that whatsoever. That is unjust and that is not right. Okay, um, remember OJ? Okay, everybody in here has their opinion of OJ. Guess what? The law of the land says he's innocent. So why would we hold negative feelings towards him? Whether he's... I mean, let's be realistic. He's going to get a fair trial one of these days. Okay? But the courts of the land said he is not guilty. And yet they sued him and took everything that he had. Is that justice? Um, the thing that's hap- that happened up at CU, is that justice? I find it fascinating. I can bring all these allegations and I don't have to have any evidence whatsoever. Is that justice? The heartbeat of Christianity, and I will say that it, with all the deep uh, social ramifications, is still this. Spiritual regeneration. And spiritually transformed people will change a society. We looked at it. A believer in the house of non-believers, who has the greater influence in the house? Sanctifies the whole home. Now listen, I watch a lot of Christians who don't tie up and get equipped for the work of ministry and they get their butts whooped in, in, in the midst of a bunch of pagans. Right? But a Christian who is on, remember my illustration of the milking stool, who uses all three legs, which is a very balanced situation. When I use all three legs, I am in the Word, I am in prayer, and I am accountable to a body of people who are teaching me and, and equipping me and all the rest of it, then I can stand and literally will sanctify that house. Spiritually transformed will change a society. But I want you to know something. Never in Scripture, never in history. You guys know I love history. I love history. In the history of the church, never has Christendom blown the lid off of society. Okay? But it was by the spreading of the power of Christendom that the society changed. Okay? Transform lives of the people within that. Society. Think about it. We have a wonderful illustration. Three young men, four young men were taken as teenagers, probably uh, not older than 15. I want you to think about this. We've got a, a lot of you are this young. And they were taken prisoners, withdrawn from their families completely, and taken to a pagan society. And when they got taken as captives in here, no one else is around it. Their priest ain't around it or the rabbi wasn't around. Nobody's around. Mom and dad ain't around and all the rest of it. Nobody's there. These four made a decision that they would stay the counsel of the Lord God of Israel. And you know what? They did. And you know what else they did? Their transformed lives did what? impacted the Babylonians. They literally started changing the Babylonian culture. Okay? He says here, only as the Lord has assigned you. Okay? That's the New American Standard. Some of you may say allotted you. All right? Why? 
Well, he comes out of this, and remember what he said, if the, verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves him, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Okay, why? But God has called us to peace. And he says, now then, where you're at, as God has assigned you. When Paul was in prison and changed in the writing of the Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, um, whose chains was he in? Christ's chains. When Joseph got arrested and, and, or got sold into slavery and then got arrested and thrown into Pharaoh's prisons, okay, and then the, the little brothers, his little just God-fearing brothers show up, who does he blame for that misery in his life? God did this. Okay, now I want you to think about this. Who you're married to right now, it's God's plan. Where you work right now, guess what? God's plan. If you're single right now, guess what? How many of us are enamored, preoccupied with those situations, those relationships right now? Okay, now I'm going to give you one that's going to hurt. If you're angry about it right now, then you're telling God His will isn't good enough for you. Because that's what it says. He has allotted you to this. Verse 20, what? Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Why? I have a plan. And you're part of the plan. Why? I want you to be peacemakers. Jesus said, Blessed, happy, are the peacemakers. Right? And yet how many, I'm going to be personal with you, how many of you today can say, Yahoo! I'm happy. How many of you today can say, I am absolutely content right now with where I sit, what I'm doing, what's going on in my life? I'll let you know after Thursday. How many? How many are content with your education? How many are content with your spouse? How many are content with that you don't have a spouse? How many are content with your job? How many are content with... Your situation in our society. I have a house, I rent, I don't have a house, whatever. Okay? Whatever the situation that you find yourself in, understand God has called us to peace. Well, Terry, I believe you're stretching to grab that one. Great. I love it when you guys challenge me. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Okay? Romans 12, verse 18. possible. I like this. If possible. And we all stop right there. It wasn't possible. Okay? No, 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 no. Look what it says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, what should you do? You know how it, if you take that word all and translate it, you know which ones that means? Okay. Anybody here have a boss? That just ooh, drives you nuts. Huh? He's, your boss seems to be a perfectionist. Just all they ever do is torment you. Anybody here have one of those? Some of you, some of you do, but we're not going to admit it. Okay? Let me introduce you to my boss. Be holy, for I am holy. Be for perfect, for I am perfect. You know what? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes he drives me nuts. He wakes me up in the middle of the night that I should pray for somebody. And I say, you're up, you pray. And what I've learned is, is that if I don't pray, I don't go back to sleep. <laughs> no problem. So I usually try to get up quickly and grumble and pray. Look at verse um, chapter 9. Now remember, what I want you to know two things in that verse. All men, and as far as it depends on 
You. Why? You are the regenerate spirit. Okay, look at chapter 14, uh, verse 19. So then, Paul says, now you understand he's concluding a wonderful letter. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Okay, key word. Pursue. I'm chasing after it. I'm lusting after it. This is a desire. I'm going after that. I'm going to lose sleep, but I'm going to get this thing. That does what? Makes for peace. How hard is that? Let me ask you this. How hard is it for a natural man to do that? Let me me give you an illustration here. We have in our mind... And I think it's an Americanism that Christianity, you dump this Christianity thing in here and you get this boom and it just blows the society apart. Okay? Because that's the dunamis of God is what we'll say. All right? Truth of the matter is, Christianity is not described that way in the New Testament. You know how it's described? Leaven. I know, we talk about leaven. Leaven sometimes is that if you have a bad chunk of leaven, how much of the dough does the leaven get in? All of it. What if the leaven is the spirit of the living God? What happens to it? It permeates all of it. But there's no... I mean, if you put a little... I'm not a baker by any stretch of it. I don't even play one on TV. But... But if you look at it, if you put a little yeast in it, how much of the dough gets the yeast? Just the corner? No. The whole thing swells up. What is Christendom? Leaven. If you put it into society, what does it do in the society? It leavens the whole thing. If I'm an employee and I get saved, what kind of employee will I be? A better one. Okay, if I'm a a spouse, go down the list. Every relationship, and I all of a sudden become a Christian, whatever that relationship, I am now better, stronger. I'm only supernaturally empowered. That's what is being taught here. We leaven our society. Listen, I, I see people want to take guns, violent protests. This only confuses the issue. What's the difference between that and Islam? Tell me the difference. You, you see this guy, I can't remember his, I can't pronounce some guy's name. That guy who's hanging out in the Napja or wherever at this, I don't know, yeah, Al Sadr. Okay? And they got all the people running around with their AK 47 jumping up and down, Yahoo, Yahoo, Allah. Okay? What's the difference between that and. Violent protests outside of abortion clinic in the name of Christ? None. Absolutely none. So when society turns around and looks at it, which one's right? Neither one. What eventually happens, what's the difference between God and Allah? Well, from a societal standpoint, there's no difference. God told me to do this, Allah told me to do this. Look at another text. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. Verse 11. Remember, this is the last letters to some... A really goofy church. Okay, finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. What? Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Listen, I can tell whether a Christian is obeying this as clear as as the day is. I see Christians who are not living in peace. Okay? And they do not have the peace of God. They are not at ease. They are not comp- they're not content. They're grumbling. They're murmuring. They're and they're doing it to their spouse and to their kids and, and all the rest of it. Why? They're co-workers. Why? 
If I have peace with God, then I have the peace of God. Have you ever studied the attributes of God? They'll drive you crazy. But you know what's amazing about it? No one stops him. No one can turn his plan. How can I not be at peace? Okay, look at Hebrews 12, 14. Just the first part of the verse. Look at it. There's that word again. Pursue. What's that mean? Knock yourself out and get it. Pursue what? With the brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that what it says? Have you ever been asked to guide someone who's nasty in your lives? But that's not all men. That's not human. <laughs> I've seen that person. <laughs> they don't even belong on this planet. Okay. Pursue it. Go after it. Zeal with who? All men. Last but not least, go to the book of James, chapter 3, verse 17. And I'll close with this. Whoops. James, chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, okay, I love this. This is just, this is just a good thing right here. Wis, but the wisdom from above first is what? Pure. Pure. Okay, you know what that means? It has not been defiled by man's sin. It's pure. Then what is it? How many of us here have ever wanted to debate the great truths of Christendom with non-believers? Whose wisdom are you using? Come on, fess up! And you know what? It may be true, but it ain't pure. I got news for you. If they're dead spiritually, you can't revive them. <laughs> you can't hook them up to the little paddles and pew, wake up, I said. It ain't going to happen. You can't do CPR or spiritual RP or any of them other one. You can't do it. And yet, why would we argue with them? I know why. Let me show you my wisdom. Let me show you my wisdom. Okay? But wisdom from above is first of all what? Untouched by sin. And then it is... Do you understand God is peace? You know, even now, would you think... Alright, let me ask you a question. Would you think sin seems to be getting worse? Does it drive you crazy? Why isn't God upset about it? What? Yeah, he wrote history. No worries. I got it all figured out. It really doesn't matter what they think they're doing. Right? I mean, how many times we plan a holiday and God made it rain? And he stole my peace. I had this wonderful plan, God, that would have worked out. Why didn't you get the memo? Why doesn't God running around frantic like some of us? He says, it's all on course. It's only exactly as I planned it. The jot and the tittle. I mean, you, got, you want to read Daniel. We always talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel and all the rest of it. Daniel's got some verses in there to make you sit on your head and spin. Do you like some of them dancers? Have you seen them guys that can spin on their heads? I'm thinking they read these same verses. I think in chapter 4 of Daniel it says, I will bring blessing on whom I will and calamity. You know what calamity means? It ain't good. Okay? Do you know what that means? When the tornado goes through Oklahoma, God don't like Oklahoma. <laughs> or trailer parks. That's it. These mobile homes. What was you thinking? Go back to cave. 
I don't know. But do you understand that? He says, I will heal and I will wound. What? What is he getting at? If you know that God, how can you not have peace? And if I have His peace, then I will have His wisdom, which is pure, and then it is peaceable. That is what the heart of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in Second Corinthians. I want to finish up that verse there out of because it says that peaceable, it is gentle, gentle, it is reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits unwavering without hypocrisy. Grab that one. I think the ladies class, weren't you talking about fruit today? Onions. Onions not a fruit, is it? Grapes or something. Fruitfulness. Okay? If you look at your life and you don't see fruitfulness, back up a couple. What does it say? Have I got wisdom that first is pure and then is peaceable. Since I've been alive, all I hear is peace, peace. We want peace. We want peace in the Middle East. We want peace in Bosnia. We want peace in Rwanda. We want peace in South Africa. We want peace in Cuba. We want peace. Name it. We want peace. Guess what? Every one of you in this room today who's in dwelt with the person of the living God has that peace. And you have wisdom to articulate that peace as long as you do it in the purity of that wisdom and the peace of that wisdom. And guess what is really bizarre about it? We will see your fruit. Peace and leaven. We permeate our society. And it's really cool. You know what? I'm not like Islam. I'm not likely to Islam. I don't have to beat anybody into the gate. I don't have to blow up anybody into the gate. I don't have to threaten you. I don't have to walk up to you and say, let me tell you something, what you believe is going to send you to hell. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do it. Why? I have wisdom from above. When I am relying on the wisdom and the power of the living God, first and foremost, my wisdom will be pure and it will be peaceful. Okay? Because once I grab that, then I can come over here and be exactly where God has me and be absolutely satisfied in that position whether that's status or that relationship in, in any given society. Because I can say, I am in the will of God, and He has placed me here for His good purpose. And it is really cool because I'm looking forward now to bearing fruit. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching the church in Corinth. You who are gathered this day. Okay? We are not God's dynamite. We are God's leaven. And we offer something to a society that as long as I can remember and my love of history has always pursued, and it first and foremost is peace. It is peace. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you for this book. I praise you for my brother Paul. And Father, I praise you for those people in this body who are exercising a wisdom from above that is pure, that is peaceable, that is gentle, that is reasonable, that is full of mercy, that bears good fruits, it's unwavering and without hypocrisy. Oh, Lord, let us each bow before your word this day And rejoice at the position that you've placed us. And Father, be eager in confidence of the amazing things that you are doing. To you and you alone, my King. Amen.